Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am doing good. Summer seems to be slipping away pretty quickly. It does. Soon we'll be talking serious football. So what's the new story in the news today? Well, I did see uh, just before we started that uh, Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona announced that she would not support uh, the Biden Democrat $3.5 billion, I think it's billion, or is it trillion? It's billion. Billion. No, you're right. It's trillion. It's trillion uh, dollar infrastructure uh, program in the Senate. Um, There, as I understand it, and it may have just occurred, there was a vote to invoke cloture which uh, means that the debate can proceed. Um, supposedly, she was in favor of, of debate, but against the bill. You know, I saw the same story, and, you know, that's an interesting uh, it's an interesting position that she's taken. When she was elected over Martha McSally, uh, she didn't really run as a fiscal conservative that I noticed, and yet since being there and a relative newcomer, she has— uh, Staked out a position to support the filibuster. She's um, been more fiscally conservative on some bills than almost any other Democrat in the Senate. So that's kind of a surprise. Yeah, I I didn't see it coming. And, you know, I haven't heard anything from Joe Manchin about this bill, but he also has expressed some reservations about the size of it. Uh, I think that's right. And I saw some reference to the fact that um, Schumer had perhaps given his permission to some, uh, a couple of the Democrats, perhaps uh, Sinema, perhaps Manchin, I don't know, to vote against it because, um, as you were saying before we came on the air, uh, the Democrats in the House are saying they will not vote to pass it unless it is beefed up. Republicans, of course, fear that they will pass a compromise bill, and then the Democrats, uh, namely Chuck Schumer, will uh, ram the rest of what they want down their throats as part of the budget reconciliation process. Yeah, the other fear is that, quite frankly, for everything Manchin has said in the past, he has ultimately given in to what Schumer wanted on a number of occasions. So it's a question whether or not he stands by what he says and supports the filibuster. That's right. So, but you know, we do have to say that these these we're talking about trillions of dollars on top of the budget that's already well. It's not a budget, but the amount of money that Congress has already voted to spend in terms of regular appropriations. That's right. In addition to the COVID appropriations. And and there there was an effort, and I don't know whether they've had the vote yet or not, there was an effort to raise the debt ceiling again to, to make all this spending possible. They have not had that vote. And in fact, I understand that sometime in the fall, they run out of money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a question in the past of, of uh, the Republicans – allowing the Democrats to paint them as the bad guys uh, if they don't vote to raise the debt ceiling. Um, and and the, the, the messaging piece of that has been something that the Democrats have used to their favor, uh, going all the way back to the 895 shutdown um, of the government by the Republican Congress, and Clinton was able to paint them with that brush as being responsible for the government shutdown. There have been a couple other shutdowns since then, and they're always called Republican shutdowns. Right. Right. There was that whole mess about the World War II veterans not being able to visit the 
what was then the new, <clears throat> excuse me, the new memorial in D.C. because the government was, quote, shut down. And uh, the, the folks who uh, run that for the, I guess, the National Park Service uh, were furloughed. And, of course, they all, and it's tough, I, I get it, for the federal employees, but they always get, you know, back pay whenever the political compromises worked out such that the uh, shutdown is over. And uh, it turns out that uh, essential services aren't, aren't really affected, or I guess in the 2021 politically correct vernacular, they're not impacted. Yeah, we can put on our lawyer hat about that, but people don't understand government shutdowns. It's because the Constitution says that the, the executive branch shall not spend any money that hasn't been appropriated by Congress. And, and we, we, we really, I mean, maybe in a future show, we can get into some detail with, with regard to what appropriated means. Because just because Congress passes a law that says the United States government is going to do X, until there's money appropriated to do X, it doesn't get done. Well, and often the difference is authorization versus appropriation. Yes. And so I know that you and I have followed it closely with defense bills. But there will be an authorization act which authorizes the Department of Defense to spend money on, you know, X project in whatever state and whatever congressman's district. But they don't get the money until the Appropriation Act comes through as a separate bill. So both of those get negotiated. The way the government's kind of structured itself now, though, is they've exempted a lot of spending from the requirement of Appropriation Acts. That's where we get into those essential services you mentioned a, a moment ago. So that even when there's a shutdown, yeah, they'll put up uh, sawhorses and police crime tape around, you know, uh, an outdoor monument to make a public statement. But they're still spending billions of dollars every day. Query the constitutionality of exempting any functions uh, from uh, from the appropriations requirement. But, um, you know, the appropriation basically, the appropriations bills provide the pot of money necessary to do what's been authorized by the Congress and signed into law by the president. Um, and without that pot of money, it's an empty promise. The other big story this week, uh, we just recently talked about the Biden uh, administration's removal of forces from Afghanistan, but th there was an announcement this week when the president met with the leader of Iraq that that mission is changing. And here's some sound from that to be available to continue to train, to assist, to help, and to deal with ISIS as it, as it arrives. But uh, we are not going to be by the end of the year in a combat mission. You know, Lee, he says by the end of the year we won't be there in a combat mission, but there has been nothing said from the White House or DOD about any troops being removed from the country. No. They seem to just be repurposing those troops. And we don't have that many there any longer, certainly not as compared to what we did have, but... It seems to me that, quote-unquote, the enemy, whomever that may be, whether it be ISIS or the Iranians or uh, whatever group uh, chooses to uh, uh, act as such, the enemy gets a vote into what our troops are do going to be doing there. It may be everyone's goal that they not be engaged in you know, actual kinetic operations, you know, open combat, hostile action, um, if you're targeted, you know, it becomes it becomes combat uh, very quickly. So it'd be interesting to see kind of how they flesh that out in the coming coming weeks and months, because 
That's not a lot of time. If we continue to have troops there, they will continue to be armed, I would certainly expect. And if they come under fire, they have rules of engagement and they can return fire. I, I think to me the the interesting question about this is where does Iraq stand versus Afghanistan? Because it seems like Afghanistan is rapidly sliding towards civil war, uh, if not entirely coming apart. Yeah. Iraq, which was actually the least stable of these two regimes for a long time because of issues in the north and in the south, they seem more stable now for what that's worth. They do. And, and it's interesting to me as to why. Nobody's really saying. And the other part of this question, though, is what will be the effect of Iran going forward if we're not there in a combat role? Well, nature abhors a vacuum. And certainly when we started reducing our forces, uh, the Iranians uh, rushed to fill that vacuum and, and, and in a lot of ways are um, they have a great deal of power and control over the Iraqi nation uh, at this point. I think it's hard to remember a time in, in our lives when the Mideast um, did not play a significant role in American affairs. Not a, not in our lifetimes. Uh, I think anybody born after uh, World War II can honestly say that the Mideast has been um, an issue uh, in, in throughout. I mean, you have, well, and you might even say going back to World War I, the Balfour Declaration and all that, because uh, it's, it's, you know, you had... Um, you essentially had guerrilla operations for decades by Jewish uh, folks who were trying to establish a homeland. You had the whole Zionist movement that was um, a worldwide uh, effort, uh, particularly uh, strong in Britain and in the United States, to establish a Jewish homeland. You know, it took World War II to get it done, but it, it got done. And we had the the issue of recognition of the Jewish state, and as I under, recall and understand my history, as soon as uh, Ben-Gurion declared Israel to be a, a nation, the Truman administration recognized them, and I think it was well after midnight, you know, early morning hours, Washington, D.C. time, and that was against the recommendation of a lot of, you know, supposedly very smart people in our government, George Marshall, uh, for instance, uh, personally, I think it was the right thing to do. Uh, I think it's worked well. Um, I think the chaos in the Middle East would be a lot worse if it weren't for the only democracy in the Middle East, Israel. You know, they had a war in 48 and a war in 56, the whole Suez incident where Ike threatened to nuke uh, the French and the British and the Israelis, at least uh, implicitly. And maybe not nuke them, but certainly go to war on behalf of the Egyptians to, to stop the seizure of the Suez Canal. And then Six-Day War, and Yom Kippur, and Lebanon, and you name it. It's interesting you mentioned the Balfour Declaration because we're recording this currently on July 28th, and it's the anniversary of the start of World War One, the Declaration of War. Uh, after World War One, they started dividing up. The victors started dividing up areas of the world, especially in the Mideast, and created some of these lines on a map which have led to conflicts ever since. That's right. They arbitrarily drew those lines and created nations that never existed before and uh, joined groups of people with ethnic or religious or whatever differences who didn't want to be part of the same country. And 
Um, we, we, we pay the price even today. Since 1990, you can look at direct American military involvement since the first Gulf War when Saddam invi- invaded Kuwait. There's never been uh, an absence of American presence there. No, as soon as the, it seems as, as soon as the Berlin Wall fell and the Russians started uh, circling the drain, uh, our, our involvement in the Middle East, by, and I would argue by, by necessity, uh, has, um, has become much, uh, much more robust. And uh, the, 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 I think it's quite interesting the, the mention of the Paris Peace Conference and the drawing of the maps. Two really, really, really fantastic books about that. Uh, one's called Paris 1919, and the other's uh, called Breaking the Heart of the World that go into great detail about the efforts by the by the allies to to solve the world's problems through the Treaty of Versailles, I guess it was known as, um, after World War One, and uh, how uh, how detailed it got with uh, Wilson and uh, Lloyd George and Clemenceau, in particular, literally drawing maps. One of the important aspects of the fact that they were drawing maps is because, frankly, they weren't drawing maps in the sense that it ought to be this way based on the people on the ground. They were drawing maps that met their political interest. Uh, and then the exactly. people, who, people who lived in those areas had to live with the consequences. Right. And, and they were drawn with respect to colonial and uh, uh, imperial uh, desires, particularly of the British and the French. One other side story to the peace conference after World War One is that, as I recall, there was a very young Ho Chi Minh who was there who was attempting to find peace and nationhood for Indochina. And he was rejected. You can certainly question it, but that draws a direct parallel to what we experienced in Vietnam many decades later. He, he was, and he was rejected, and he left dejectedly, and he was looking to uh, this country and Woodrow Wilson to uh, understand and, and lend a sympathetic ear and a, and a helpful hand to his efforts to, to secure um, independence and um, stability for what was then French Indochina, which we now know uh, as among uh, other nations of Vietnam. Uh, he didn't get it, and he became... Uh, a man in search of a sponsor, uh, and ultimately uh, found that with uh, uh, the Soviets. Um, and you wonder, uh, had he been uh, listened to and, 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 and treated differently in, in those early years of the 20th century, if if the whole Vietnam debacle uh, would have would have occurred. You have to question if the French would have would have lost or pulled out. What's interesting that's what it's that's what's interesting about history. Mm-hmm. It's because there are consequences to so many things and you don't see them at the time. That's right. So we started this conversation talking about the US changing its role in Iraq and now we're talking about the consequences of other historic decisions. But it is fascinating. Yeah, so now the other uh, major story this week for college football fans, which I know you are, was uh, the apparent um, move from Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12 to the SEC, or at least they, they announced that decision. Uh, Officially know, I, today requested to become members. It's, uh, it's likely to trigger 
uh, a great deal of uh, sh- a shuffling of the deck with regard to um, conference alignment, if nothing else. Well, we've, we've gone through realignment before, and conference is expanding. But these are two big gets for the SEC, which already has a huge media contract. Uh, and they are almost the NFL light in terms of popularity, in terms of talent, and in terms of performance. Mm-hmm. So this is just strengthening that conference. Now, what happens with other teams out there remains to be seen. Yeah, um, the Big 12 is going to be scrambling, and the speculation is that uh, there are several options for them. Uh, the first one being, I guess, what I, most people would call the nuclear option, which is they would disband and go their separate ways with some of some of them ending up in the uh, <clears throat> excuse me the Pac-12 and some ending up probably in the AAC. Um, I think they would like to find other homes, most of them, but it seems in, in what I've read that um, the, the the attractive candidates from from the Big 12 um, have either already left or would now be leaving. Um, and so uh, they, they, they may find that their bargaining power is somewhat uh, limited. And the Pac-12 is uh, sort of seems to be anyway. Uh, they, all they do is react to what the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC do. You might end up with the almost a completely changed landscape. Before last week, there were considered four power conferences. Those conferences had been fairly stable for a while. They kept kind of nibbling away at the edges as they added more people. They added championships and bigger media contracts. Now, as I understood it in the Big 12, they had allowed Texas to basically have their own network and a bigger share of the pie. So in some sense, they might not mind losing Texas, but they're also losing that share of the pie, which is going to hurt all the other teams there. Yeah, um, they had basically said to Texas, we'll do whatever we have to get. We'll give you whatever you, 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 you want in order to keep you. That was at the time of the last realignment. Well, having come out of an ACC school, one thing I found interesting is discussions about the ACC and how far behind the SEC and the Big Ten they are in terms of money. But they're not losing money. They're still making hundreds of millions of dollars a year, but they're still well behind them in the amount. I think that there will be some uh, benefit, if you will, to the ACC. I'm not sure that the Big the Big Ten, um, I'm not sure that they really want uh, to add or increase, although I think that the pressure will be, on, on all the quote big big conferences now to go to 16 teams, um, it sets up a schedule better and and um, sets up a, a, a postseason championship game a little better with with that number of teams. So if that happens, then the Big 12 is I mean the Big 10 is 14 teams. They would need to add two, and the ACC is is it 14 or 16? Well, see, it's it's 14 teams with Notre Dame as kind of a quasi-partner there in some games. Right. So they would need to add, I, I guess, one and further or get a further commitment from Notre Dame to, to play football um, because they, uh, Notre Dame is a member in the other sports. 
or join. Notre Dame wants to be independent in football. They, yeah. They're proud of that. But they are contractually obligated if they join a conference. It has to be the ACC. Okay. Um, so so that would be that would be one school, and then they 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 probably frankly would have their pick of the of the Big Twelve schools. The the one that would seem to make sense geographically speaking would be West Virginia. For a long time, the ACC claimed that certain schools were not academically strong enough to be members of the conference. From a practical standpoint, uh, when uh, Louisville joined the conference, that ship sailed. Um, so yeah, they're past that. This is about this is about <laughs> this about dollars. This is, this isn't even about basketball anymore. It's oh, football no. is driving. The That's right. And, and 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 quite frankly, they don't care about West Virginia. They care about Notre Dame. If well, you yeah. get if you get Notre Dame, that's the only thing that matters. Right. You might add West Virginia to balance it out, but that's it. You know, you you wonder. Some of the speculation has been uh, that I saw was with regard to Kansas. Kansas brings nothing football wise, and I would think that Duke and Carolina, uh, in particular, would would not want to be in the conference with Kansas from a basketball standpoint. Although I think basketball fans would love it. Um, but that would be a really, really, really tough top of the ACC from a basketball standpoint. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how it all falls out. Um, well, you know, the other aspect of this is what happens to the NCAA, because if um, if the SEC continues expanding, if the ACC or the, the Big Ten try to go to more teams, at some point the NCAA just gets squeezed out. If the NCAA didn't have men's college basketball and the billion dollars that they get each year from CBS for that, I, I don't think they would exist. I do think that at some point in the near future, they're going to give up the FBS uh, football, uh, whatever. Con- they don't really have control, but 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 whatever uh, authority they have with regard to the football programs in the FBS, they'll, they'll, they're going to lose that. That'll be... A, cre- a, a creature of either one mega conference or a group of big conferences, because uh, maybe you know maybe the, at the, that point the NCAA just becomes a basketball and Olympic sport conference. Yeah, I think I think it, that's essentially what it is. Um, so why not recognize reality? Um, and you know that that was one thing that uh, kind of jumped out at us when we talked about the. Supreme Court case back in in uh, June with regard to um, the ability to uh, at least provide a larger stipend for college athletes. I won't say pay them, but because it, it didn't quite go that far. Um, but it, it, it you know they recited in there the the downfall of the NCAA uh, with regard to big time college football going back to. When schools were limited into and how many times they could appear on television in one season, um, and then you know they, they coming up to today where the NCAA is just a an afterthought with college football. Now we're seeing these huge contracts on name, image, likeness, mm-hmm. um, paying Purpose players. They seem, serve. Yeah, paying players just seems like petty change at this point. Yeah, it really does. So there was one other sports-related story that I got to comment on because MLB, we've, we've talked about some MLB testing rules. That was one of our first stories on this pod. Was But now they've started with the Low A West Conference, which is eight teams in California. 
and they have developed this device that the catcher wears, and he pushes these buttons on his wrist, and it transmits the pitch signal to the pitcher. So they don't have to hold fingers down. There's no issue with stealing signs. It just electronically transmits it to a uh, headphone-type thing that the pitcher wears. Inside the sweatband of his hat. Yes. Yeah. Now, the first question I had was, what if you're like me and you sweat profusely? Will it still work? Um, well, I'm sure they've they've made it pretty waterproof. Now, what's interesting about this technology is that it actually it converts the signal into uh, vibrations or waves, which they transmit through the bones of the skull into the ear. So I didn't understand. I guess I'm, I'm technologically, well, not I guess. I am technologically a Luddite. Does the pitcher hear what's said, or does he simply get a series of buzzes, almost like Morse code, and has to decipher my understanding is that it's converted to a voice that he hears. Wow. There's some smart people in this world. Yeah. But but query how long before the Astros use some sort of device to steal the signal? Well, they promise that it's like industrial gr- in, industrial grade encryption. Um, you know. And the backup machine has to be kept in a case during the game and if there's a problem with the machine, the manager alerts the umpire before they go out to the mound to address the machine issue so that there's not um, they're not charged with a mound visit. I don't see how it speeds up the game personally. Um, yeah, they uh, they had to have a backup because something can always go wrong. But I guess people were concerned that the manager would then get involved from the dugout and start calling pitches, which would be you know, just crazy. Now you have two sets of pitch calls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the rule is that, that the backup is locked up at all times uh, during the game unless something happens to the primary. And, of course, the manager and the pitching coach do call pitches. They just flash the signs to the catcher now, who then flashes them to the pitcher. What you're going to have then is the manager of the pitching coach is going to flash a sign to the catcher, and the catcher is going to, on his wrist or arm, uh, hit a series of buttons. Um, query what happens when you hit the buttons incorrectly and – you know, you're looking curveball, and uh, Araldus Chapman throws his heater, and you know, you are the umpire, the catcher of the umpires, picking the ball out of the teeth. Um, Good times. Yes, absolutely. A lot of fun. Wasn't there an effort some years back to put uh, some type of speaker in the helmet of quarterbacks? Yes, and they would uh, receive a call in. Well, they had it. Um, they still do in, that. Yeah, the in the, in the NFL. Uh, one player on offense and one player on defense at a time has a speaker in his helmet. You can always tell who it is because there's a little green circular sticker on the back of the helmet. Um, and if you notice the uh, uh, backup quarterback typically has either his helmet on or he has some sort of device in his ear. So he's listening to the, the play call as well. And then typically the middle linebacker has it on defense um, and, uh, you know, it's it's eliminated the need like the old Dallas Cowboys where Landry would send the plays in because, you know, he wouldn't let Staubach call the plays, send the plays in with his guards. Um, you know, as soon as the ball was down, Landry would whisper to the to the guard and hit him on the shoulder pads and he'd run in the game and whoever would come out and they just rotate the guards with the with the plays constantly. I can't say that it sped the game up. It's 
I've made substitutions a little different, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, this is a uh, this is a change at a very low level. This isn't even. Um, I guess it's kind of they call it low A, which I think is below what we would used to think of as single A. But that's where these things get started. They're testing. You know, we talked about a lot of rules changes. They're testing, such as size of bases and a pitch clock and other things. So they yeah. test them out there. Yeah, low A is one step up from rookie ball. And personally, I'm not opposed to this. I've always thought the whole, uh, you know, one finger means this and two finger means this is, you know, I didn't get it. I, I'm not committed to that at all. So I'm old school. I like the, I like that. We'll and, see how and, you it know, works the, out. The catchers now are they, they they used to use fingernail polish or whiteout to make yeah. their fingers visible, and and now there's a company that that sells stickers in all sorts of different colors, uh, so you can just peel them off when the game is over. You don't have to have fingernail polish and and, and try to remove that either with some sort of uh, astringent or uh, uh, I don't know how she I mean I don't know how you get fingernail polish off, but. No, that's a niche market. Yeah, and the whiteout, you know, doesn't last very long, so they had to keep reapplying the, the whiteout to the finger. All they had to do was get some duct tape and stick it on there. Yeah, and they used to use tape um, on the finger, you know, adhesive tape, but that affects the catcher and his ability to throw the ball and the grip and the feel that you get on the baseball, which gets back to, you know, is there any substance on the baseball? Uh, and from what I understand, particularly as it relates to one team that I won't name, but I have it on good authority from someone who is in their organization uh, that uh, the trainers for this team are spraying uh, the bullfrog sunscreen onto the rosin bag directly uh, as a way to get around the umpires in, in, the, in the big leagues, checking the pitchers uh, periodically during the game for any sort of foreign substance. Now, the interesting thing to me with that is you know, last year, each pitcher had his own rosin bag for COVID purposes. And now they're not doing that anymore. They're back to the old days, which is there is one rosin bag and it's placed on the back of the mound and whoever wants to has access to it. Uh, and both teams use the same rosin bag. And both teams use the same, the same rosin bag. That's exactly right. So if you do that, your pitcher gets the benefit, but so does mm-hmm. the other guy. So, you know. No competitive advantage there. No, except no for Except for all the pitchers versus all the hitters. Right, but as between teams, there's no competitive advantage. So a lot of stuff for us to continue watching, but uh, what's on your radar for this next week? I guess the the mask situation, you know, our mask mandate's coming. Uh, I saw something this afternoon that our governor's having a press conference sometime tomorrow, I think tomorrow morning. The speculation is that mask mandates are not coming for North Carolina, although there may be some continued or even increased exceptions. You know, right now, all medical offices and so forth, you have to wear a mask. There may be some some additions to that, but there is no, there's not going to be a blanket mask mandate is what I hear. Uh, that, that's, Our local judges just imposed a new administrative order today for mask wearing in the courthouse is mandatory effective Monday, August 2nd. Right, because you won't get sick tomorrow or Friday. And, and people need time to go out and actually purchase these strange things called masks. Right. We've never had them before. Um, we've, we've gotten away from it here. Um, I'm sure it's coming back. So that's on the list. Um, I'm still fascinated by the audit situation. I noticed that uh, some of the social media companies are censoring and, and not allowing 
uh, posts with regard to the audits, in, uh, particularly in Arizona, and, and, the, and any results of the audits. Uh, I guess uh, those are the two biggies. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm watching the Olympics to some extent. Um, like you, I, I enjoy the swimming. Um, I've enjoyed the water polo, believe it or not. Never, never really watched that before, but I found that to be quite interesting. Sort of a, a, a simple game to understand, and it and it it's it's a quick game, and and uh, and I liked it to be to be blunt. Um, and a and, difficult game to play. I understand. Oh, it, I've it, never tried it. I mean, I, I know it's you can't be touch the bottom because it's too deep. So you're, you're, you're in the water, treading water at best the whole time, if not swimming. They fight like cats and dogs. I mean, they just abuse each other, um, particularly if you watch away from the ball. I mean, they're dunking people in the water and grabbing them and all kinds of stuff. I don't think I could play. I think I'd be fighting all the time. Um, I've enjoyed that. Uh, the Americans won the three-on-three basketball gold medal in women's basketball last night. First time that has been a... Um, uh, a competition in the Olympics. I didn't get to see it. I did watch a little bit, but um, that was interesting. Um, and uh, this whole thing with Simone Biles um, has been uh, has been quite interesting to me. I, I guess I take a little bit of a different position uh, than than uh, a lot of uh, at least the people I follow on Twitter and social media. And that to me, it's her call. Uh, if she thinks she's not able to go, then she she has an obligation to remove herself from the competition, and no one should, in my opinion, question her 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 decision in that regard. Um, you know, when you have that many gold medals, as you said, uh, there's no question she has the heart of a competitor, and and, and uh, you know, some are saying she's the best gymnast that has ever lived. Uh, I, I don't know how you compare across generations, but she certainly takes a back seat to no one. And uh, if she thought she couldn't go, then then as far as I'm concerned, that that's the end of that. So yeah, I don't I don't praise her for the decision, but I don't criticize her for it either. She uh, made what was the right decision for her, right? And I did see some some praise for her today in in that you know once she had that bad vault with that really bad score, um, there was no way. F- for them to win if she stayed in the competition and her score counted. So she actually, you know, the argument was she actually did her team a favor by withdrawing so that her scores wouldn't count. And, and then they, they, they came up with, you know, what, three points or something uh, away from a, from a gold medal. And, and I assume they won a silver. Um, they did. They won the silver in team, which is, you know, um, there's no shame in that. Um, well, the gold medal went to the Russians. Now, the Russians were banned from the Olympics a few years ago, but now they're they're back, only they're not under the flag of Russia. They show up as ROC, Russia, Russian Olympic Committee, I yeah. guess. And they have the, the flag of the Olympics, and I don't yeah. know what they play national anthem-wise, probably the Olympic song, I guess. I don't know. That's That's wild stuff. Although I understand you don't want to punish the athletes who – Really didn't have anything to do with with the uh, the, the the actions that got uh, that resulted in the sanctions, but uh, that's sort of that's sort of bizarre stuff. Um, yeah, not a lot of transparency there. Yeah, not a lot so, of explanation. You know, one other story that came out of the Olympics is a a young lieutenant in the Army Reserve, and I don't recall her name, who won a gold in skeet shooting, set a new Olympic record. Just, you know, some really good stories like that. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'll be watching the Olympics this next week. I'm also kind of paying attention to what happens with the Texas Democrats. That's an oldie but a goodie story. Because apparently now they're soliciting care packages from um, you know their supporters because life is so rough in Washington, D.C., in their hotels, so they need uh, some extra supplies there. Yeah. So, and did you see that the uh, tonight's Phillies Nationals game uh, that was the uh, uh, tomorrow night is the final game of the series were supposed to be eighty five percent of the Nationals are vaccinated. There has been an outbreak among Nationals uh, personnel. Uh, I think there are twelve players and. Uh, employees who've now tested positive. Last night it was just Trey Turner. They've postponed tonight's game, but 85% of the nationals are vaccinated, and a, a, apparently a good portion of the 12, if not all, have been vaccinated. And interesting, particularly to me, was that a number of the vaccinated positive tests were folks who had received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. It would be interesting to see what happens there, and Point of personal interest, uh, I have tickets to the Friday night and Saturday night uh, Nationals-Cubs games and uh, in a hotel room that uh, is non-refundable. So I am uh, certainly hopeful that um, uh, there will be baseball in D.C. this weekend. Uh, if not, I'm not sure what I do. I do know that the Smithsonian is, will be open as of Friday, but the Supreme Court is not. And I always like to drop by the Supreme Court and go in the bookstore um, had some alternatives there. It's closed. Uh, yeah. So who knows? It's hard for me to see how if they have that type of outbreak on Wednesday, given what we've gone through with quarantines and isolation and things like that, it's hard to see how they're going to play or field a team in two days. Well, they're going to have to bring up a bunch of minor leaguers. COVID is, uh-huh. is with us and it's going to be with us for a long time. Yeah, I'm afraid that's true, and there, there's a lot of question about now the effectiveness of not only the J&J vaccine, as you just mentioned, but, you know, Pfizer. I, I sent you a story a few days ago that Israel seems to be saying 39% effective against breakthrough cases. However, the significance is that if you test positive later, you often don't have any symptoms. You're not hospitalized. You're not at, at risk of something worse. Yeah, and I, I saw that the a lot of this recent – appearance of more positives and and um, a, a, particularly among people that are vaccinated is based upon uh, statistics from countries that used a non-U.S. approved vaccination. Um, and, and, and I, you know, that uh, New York Times has published that, but, but no one else really has said that. Um, so a lot of this, uh, what I'll call crackdown with regard to mass and potential lockdowns, may be based on on, on uh, instances that that would not be uh, uh, similar to what we have in this country. Um, uh, you know, there's there's still questions about it all, but you know, I say if you can get a shot, go get a shot. It's not going to give you scabies. Yeah, there's some potential side effects. Talk about it with your doctor. But if you're eligible and recommended, go ahead and do it. we got to get past this. Yeah, this is no way to live. No. Lee's got ball games to go to. That's right. And that's those things are important. I haven't been to a major league game since 2019. I'm having withdrawals. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider, leave us a review, and tell your friends about us.